This is part five and six of Christian Science and the Book of Mrs. Eddy. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, visit LibriVox.org. The Man That Corrupted Hadleyburg and Other Stories by Mark Twain. Section nine. Christian Science and the Book of Mrs. Eddy. Part five. No one doubts, certainly not I, that the mind exercises a powerful influence over the body. From the beginning of time, the sorcerer, the interpreter of dreams, the fortune-teller, the charlatan, the quack, the wild medicine-man, the educated physician, the mesmerist, and the hypnotist have made use of the client's imagination to help them in their work. They have all recognized the potency and availability of that force. Physicians cure many patients with a bread-pill. They know that where the disease is only a fancy, the patient's confidence in the doctor will make the bread-pill effective. Faith in the doctor. Perhaps that is the entire thing. It seems to look like it. In old times the king cured the king's evil by the touch of the royal hand. He frequently made extraordinary cures. Could his footman have done it? No, not in his own clothes. Disguised as the king could he have done it? I think we may not doubt it. I think we may feel sure that it was not the king's touch that made the cure in any instance, but the patient's faith in the efficacy of a king's touch. Genuine and remarkable cures have been achieved through contact with the relics of a saint. Is it not likely that any other bones would have done as well if the substitution had been concealed from the patient? When I was a boy, a farmer's wife who lived five miles from our village had great fame as a faith doctor, that was what she called herself. Sufferers came to her from all around, and she laid her hand upon them and said, Have faith, it is all that is necessary, and they went away well of their ailments. She was not a religious woman, and pretended to no occult powers. She said that the patient's faith in her did the work. Several times I saw her make immediate cures of severe toothaches. My mother was the patient. In Austria there is a peasant who drives a great trade in this sort of industry, and has both the high and the low for patients. He gets into prison every now and then for practicing without a diploma, but his business is as brisk as ever when he gets out, for his work is unquestionably successful, and keeps his reputation high. In Bavaria there is a man who performed so many great cures that he had to retire from his profession of stage-carpentering in order to meet the demand of his constantly increasing body of customers. He goes on from year to year doing his miracles, and has become very rich. He pretends to no religious helps, no supernatural aids, but thinks there is something in his make-up which inspires the confidence of his patients and that it is this confidence which does the work and not some mysterious power issuing from himself. Within the last quarter of a century in America several sects of curers have appeared under various names, and have done notable things in the way of healing ailments without the use of medicines. There are the mind-cure, the faith-cure, the prayer-cure, the mental science-cure, and the Christian science-cure and apparently they all do their miracles with the same old, powerful instrument, the patient's imagination. Differing names, but no difference in the process. But they do not give that instrument the credit. Each sect claims that its way differs from the ways of the others. They all achieve some cures, there is no question about it, 
and the faith cure and the prayer cure probably do no harm when they do no good, since they do not forbid the patient to help out the cure with medicines if he wants to. But the others bar medicines, and claim ability to cure every conceivable human ailment through the application of their mental forces alone. They claim ability to cure malignant cancer, and other affections which have never been cured in the history of the race. There would seem to be an element of danger here. It has the look of claiming too much, I think. Public confidence would probably be increased if less were claimed. I believe it might be shown that all the mind sects, except Christian science, have lucid intervals, intervals in which they betray some diffidence, and in effect confess that they are not the equals of the deity. But if the Christian scientist even stops with being merely the equal of the deity, it is not clearly provable by his Christian science-amended Bible. In the usual Bible the deity recognizes pain, disease, and death as facts. But the Christian scientist knows better, knows better, and is not diffident about saying so. The Christian scientist was not able to cure my stomach-ache and my cold, but the horse-doctor did it. This convinces me that Christian science claims too much. In my opinion, it ought to let diseases alone, and confine itself to surgery. There it would have everything its own way. The horse-doctor charged me thirty kreutzers, and I paid him. In fact, I doubled it and gave him a shilling. Mrs. Fuller brought in an itemized bill for a crate of broken bones mended in two hundred and thirty-four places, one dollar per fracture. "'Nothing exists but mind?' "'Nothing,' she answered. "'All else is substanceless. All else is imaginary.' I gave her an imaginary check, and now she is suing me for substantial dollars. It looks inconsistent. Part six. Let us consider that we are all partially insane. It will explain us to each other, it will unriddle many riddles, it will make clear and simple many things which are involved in haunting and harassing difficulties and obscurities now. Those of us who are not in the asylum, and not demonstrably do there, are nevertheless no doubt insane in one or two particulars. I think we must admit this. But I think that we are otherwise healthy-minded. I think that when we all see one thing alike, it is evidence that as regards that one thing our minds are perfectly sound. Now there are really several things which we do all see alike, things which we all accept, and about which we do not dispute. For instance, we who are outside of the asylum all agree that water seeks its level, that the sun gives light and heat, that fire consumes, that fog is damp, that six times six are thirty-six, that two from ten leave eight, that eight and seven are fifteen. These are perhaps the only things we are agreed about. But although they are so few, they are of inestimable value, because they make an infallible standard of sanity. Whosoever accepts them we know to be substantially sane, sufficiently sane, in the working essentials sane. Whoever disputes a single one of them we know to be wholly insane and qualified for the asylum. Very well. The man who disputes none of them we concede to be entitled to go at large. But that is concession enough. We cannot go any further than that, for we know that in all matters of mere opinion that same man is insane, just as insane as we are, just as insane as Shakespeare was, just as insane as the Pope is. We know exactly where to put our finger upon his insanity. 
it is where his opinion differs from ours. That is a simple rule, and easy to remember. When I, a thoughtful and unbiased Presbyterian, examine the Koran, I know that beyond any question every Mohammedan is insane. Not in all things, but in religious matters. When a thoughtful and unbiased Mohammedan examines the Westminster Catechism, he knows that beyond any question I am spiritually insane. I cannot prove to him that he is insane, because you never can prove anything to a lunatic, for that is a part of his insanity and the evidence of it. He cannot prove to me that I am insane, for my mind has the same defect that afflicts his. All Democrats are insane, but not one of them knows it. None but the Republicans and Mugwumps know it. All the Republicans are insane, but only the Democrats and Mugwumps can perceive it. The rule is perfect. In all matters of opinion our adversaries are insane. When I look around me I am often troubled to see how many people are mad. To mention only a few. The atheist, the infidel, the agnostic, the Baptist, the Methodist, the Catholic, and the other 115 Christian sects, the Presbyterian excepted, the 72 Mohammedan sects, the Buddhist, the Blavatsky Buddhist, the Nationalist, the Confucian, the Spiritualist, the 2,000 East Indian sects, the Peculiar People, the Swedenborgians, the Shakers, the Millerites, the Mormons, the Lawrence Oliphant Harrisites, the Grand Lama's people, the Monarchists, the Imperialists, the Democrats, the Republicans, uh, but not the Mugwumps, the Mind Curists, the Faith Curists, the Mental Scientists, the Allopaths, the Homeopaths, the Electropaths, the... Uh, but there's no end to the list. There are millions of them, and all insane, each in his own way, insane as to his pet fad or opinion, but otherwise sane and rational. This should move us to be charitable toward one another's lunacies. I recognize that in his special belief the Christian scientist is insane, because he does not believe as I do. But I hail him as my mate and fellow because I am as insane as he, insane from his point of view, and his point of view is as authoritative as mine and worth as much, that is to say, worth a brass farthing. Upon a great religious or political question the opinion of the dullest head in the world is worth the same as the opinion of the brightest head in the world, a brass farthing. How do we arrive at this? Very simple. The affirmative opinion of a stupid man is neutralized by the negative opinion of his stupid neighbor. No decision is reached. The affirmative opinion of the intellectual giant Gladstone is neutralized by the negative opinion of the intellectual giant Cardinal Newman. No decision is reached. Opinions that prove nothing are, of course, without value. Any but a dead person knows that much. This obliges us to admit the truth of the unpalatable proposition just mentioned above, that in disputed matters political and religious, one man's opinion is worth no more than his peers, and hence it follows that no man's opinion possesses any real value. It is a humbling thought, but there's no way to get around it. All opinions upon these great subjects are brass-farthing opinions. It is a mere plain simple fact, as clear and as certain as that eight and seven make fifteen, and by it we recognize that we are all insane as concerns those matters. If we were sane, we should all see a political or religious doctrine alike. There would be no dispute. It would be a case of eight and seven, just as it is in heaven. 
where all are sane and none insane there there is but one religion one belief the harmony is perfect there is never a discordant note under protection of these preliminaries i suppose i may now repeat without offence that the christian scientist is insane i mean him no discourtesy and i am not charging nor even imagining that he is insaner than the rest of the human race i think he is more picturesquely insane than some of us at the same time i am quite sure that in one important and splendid particular he is saner than is the vast bulk of the race why is he insane i told you before it is because his opinions are not ours i know of no other reason and i do not need any other it is the only way we have of discovering insanity when it is not violent it is merely the picturesqueness of his insanity that makes it more interesting than my kind or yours for instance consider his little book the one described in the previous article the little book exposed in the sky eighteen centuries ago by the flaming angel of the apocalypse and handed down in our day to mrs mary baker g eddy of new hampshire and translated by her word for word into english with help of a polisher and now published and distributed in hundreds of editions by her at a clear profit per volume above cost of seven hundred per cent a profit which distinctly belongs to the angel of the apocalypse and let him collect it if he can a little book which the c s very frequently calls by just that name and always enclosed in quotation marks to keep its high origin exultantly in mind a little book which explains and reconstructs and new paints and decorates the bible and puts a mansard roof on it and a lightning-rod and all the other modern improvements a little book which for the present affects to travel in yoke with the bible and be friendly to it and with half a century will hitch it in the rear and thenceforth travel tandem itself in the lead in the coming great march of christian scientism through the protestant dominions of the planet perhaps i am putting the tandem arrangement too far away perhaps five years might be nearer the mark than fifty for a viennese lady told me last night that in the christian science mosque in boston she noticed some things which seemed to me to promise a shortening of the interval on one side there was a display of texts from the new testament signed with the saviour's initials j c and on the opposite side a display of texts from the little book signed with the author's mere initials no signed with mrs mary baker g eddy's name in full perhaps the angel of the apocalypse likes this kind of piracy i made this remark lightly to a christian scientist this morning but he did not receive it lightly but said it was jesting upon holy things he said there was no piracy for the angel did not compose the book he only brought it god composed it i could have retorted that it was a case of piracy just the same that the displayed text should be signed with the author's initials and that to sign them with the translator's train of names was another case of jesting upon holy things however i did not say these things for this scientist was a large person and although by his own doctrine we have no substance but our fictions and unrealities i knew he could hit me an imaginary blow which would furnish me an imaginary pain which could last me a week the lady said that in that mosque there were two pulpits in one of them was a man with a former bible in the other a woman with mrs eddy's apocalyptic annex and from these books the man and the woman were reading verse and verse about 
hungry ones throng to hear the Bible read in connection with the textbook of Christian science. Science and Health with Key to the Scriptures by Mary Baker G. Eddy. These are our holy preachers. They are the Word of God. Christian Science Journal, October 1898. Are these things picturesque? The Viennese lady told me that in a chapel of the mosque there was a picture or image of Mrs. Eddy, and that before it burns a never-extinguished light. Is that picturesque? How long do you think it will be before the Christian scientist will be worshipping that image and praying to it? How long do you think it will be before it is claimed that Mrs. Eddy is a Redeemer, a Christ, or Christ's equal? Already her army of disciples speak of her reverently as our mother. How long will it be before they place her on the steps of the throne beside the Virgin, and later a step higher? First, Mary the Virgin and Mary the Matron, later, with a change of precedence, Mary the Matron and Mary the Virgin. Let the artist get ready with his canvas and his brushes. The new Renaissance is on its way, and there will be money in the altar canvases, a thousand times as much as the popes and their church ever spent on the old masters, for their riches were as poverty as compared with what is going to pour into the treasure-chest of the Christian scientist papacy by and by, let us not doubt it. We will examine the financial outlook presently and see what it promises. A favorite subject of the new old master will be the first verse of the twelfth chapter of Revelation, a verse which Mrs. Eddy says, in her annex to the scriptures, has one distinctive feature which has special reference to the present age, and to her, as is rather pointedly indicated. And there appeared a great wonder in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, and the moon under her feet, etc. The woman clothed with the sun will be a portrait of Mrs. Eddy. Is it insanity to believe that Christian scientism is destined to make the most formidable show that any new religion has made in the world since the birth and spread of Mohammedanism, and that within a century from now it may stand second to Rome only, in numbers and power in Christendom? If this is a wild dream, it will not be easy to prove it is so just yet, I think. There seems argument that it may come true. The Christian science boom is not yet five years old, yet already it has five hundred churches and one million members in America. It has its start, you see, and it is a phenomenally good one. Moreover, it is latterly spreading with a constantly accelerating swiftness. It has a better chance to grow and prosper and achieve permanency than any other existing ism, for it has more to offer than any other. The past teaches us that, in order to succeed, a movement like this must not be a mere philosophy, it must be a religion, also that it must not claim entire originality, but content itself with passing for an improvement on an existing religion, and show its hand later, when strong and prosperous, like Mohammedanism. Next, there must be money, and plenty of it. Next, the power and authority and capital must be concentrated in the grip of a small and irresponsible clique, with nobody outside privileged to ask questions or find fault. Next, as before remarked, it must bait its hook with some new and attractive advantages over the baits offered by the other religions. A new movement equipped with some of these endowments, like spiritualism, for instance, may count upon a considerable success. A new movement equipped with the bulk of them, like Mohammedanism, for instance, may count upon a widely extended conquest. 
Mormonism had all the requisites but one. It had nothing new, and nothing valuable to bait with. And, besides, it appealed to the stupid and the ignorant only. Spiritualism lacked the important detail of concentration of money and authority in the hands of an irresponsible clique. The above equipment is excellent, admirable, powerful, but not perfect. There is yet another detail which is worth the whole of it, put together, and more. A detail which has never been joined, in the beginning of a religious movement, to a supremely good working equipment since the world began, until now. A new personage to worship. Christianity had the Saviour, but at first and for generations it lacked money and concentrated power. In Mrs. Eddy, Christian science possesses the new personage for worship, and, in addition, here in the very beginning, a working equipment that has not a flaw in it. In the beginning, Mohammedanism had no money, and it has never had anything to offer its client but heaven, nothing here below that was valuable. In addition to heaven hereafter, Christian science has present health and a cheerful spirit to offer, for cash, and in comparison with this bribe all other this-world bribes are poor and cheap. You recognize that this estimate is admissible, do you not? To whom does Bellamy's nationalism appeal? Necessarily to the few, people who read and dream, and are compassionate, and troubled for the poor and the hard-driven. To whom does spiritualism appeal? necessarily to the few. Its boom has lasted for half a century, and I believe it claims short of four millions of adherents in America, who are attracted by Swedenborgianism, and some of the other fine and delicate isms. The few again, educated people, sensitively organized, with superior mental endowments, who seek lofty planes of thought, and find their contentment there. And who are attracted by Christian science? There is no limit." Its field is horizonless. Its appeal is as universal as is the appeal of Christianity itself. It appeals to the rich, the poor, the high, the low, the cultured, the ignorant, the gifted, the stupid, the modest, the vain, the wise, the silly, the soldier, the civilian, the hero, the coward, the idler, the worker, the godly, the godless, the free man, the slave, the adult, the child. They who are ailing, they who have friends that are ailing. To mass it in a phrase, its clientele is the human race? Will it march? I think so. End of Part 6 of Christian Science in the Book of Mrs. Eddy And End of Section 9 of The Man That Corrupted Hadleyburg and Other Stories by Mark Twain